0: welcome to the companion briefing podcast it's june 30th and today we're going to discuss the latest episode of loki discuss some of the biggest headlines in the world of sci-fi with a special guest interview and the return of click click boom i'm your host tommy terry green and i'm joined as always by our editor james Hoare. hi james
1: hi tommy great as always to be here and obviously in the wake of prime day i am burdened with glorious purchase
0: So to kick things off, we've got a new newsletter to be talking about. It's called Week in Geek. James, yes. the first one went out yesterday as of recording.
1: It absolutely did, with a very handsome logo by yourself, which was retconned into a second version of it. I sent out some some <laughs> real uh, Star Wars Special Edition stuff going on here. So the Week in Geek is a little bit of a snackable kind of collection of... Um, the cool trailers, some cool things we've seen you can buy, and just a little bit of a kind of um, dissection of the, the current internet drama, because not everyone has the, the luxury of time or the misfortune to be um, very online, as the kids say. Um, obviously, I am, because I'm, I'm just a, a, the human embodiment. Of, uh, I mean, sometimes uh, it's just experience. hard
0: it's just hard work to be on like fandom Twitter and seeing a lot of the stuff on there. But the best thing about Weekend Geek is that it filters through all that rubbish and just gives you the best stuff that's on there that you see every
1: now and then. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And unless you are very online, a lot of these weird micro dramas just come and go before you discover them. And you you can spend ages trying to kind of retroactively take apart some weird meme or, kind of thing that's trending to try and work out where that suddenly burst out of the, the ground
0: <laughs> totally so what have we been talking about this week what are some of the things that we've got coming up i mean the first one i'd love to talk about if you don't mind is the second shang chi trailer it just looks really cool so the first one i loved it anywhere but the second shows a lot more of the magic the, the villainy the world building we see Wong fighting abomination which I believe Kevin Feige is now confirmed is in fact that because it was only like a blinking and you'll miss it kind of moment in the trailer I'm just so excited for this film it's a character I knew nothing about beforehand and the more I see of it the more excited I get and it's just well, a lot of people were worried that after the Avengers Endgame where do they go from here what characters do they use next they've used all the good ones and I don't know they're kind of just proving the point that they started to prove with Guardians of the Galaxy that it doesn't matter (laughs) who these characters are, they'll make a great movie out of it. They've got this down to like a well-oiled machine and whatever they put in one end, a great film seems to come out the other. So it looks like they're on track to do that again. What do you think of it?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not as, maybe not as enthused by the trailer personally, but I am very, very interested in the process. Um, So it's clear that Marvel have, You know, they're fully embracing the power of the Marvel brand now. It's no longer going to be about A-list star plus, you know, reasonably well-known comic book equals box office gold. It's simply going to be Marvel plus thing you haven't heard of equals box office gold. And Shang-Chi is going to be, you know, the perfect example of that. It's a character that was created purely as a result of the kind of the Kung Fu phase that followed the release event of Enter the Dragon, um, and Marvel just wanted a piece of that. It's a, a bit of Bronze Age fluff is really the origin of that character. So to see him kind of blossom and take his kind of place in the cinematic universe, it feels like incredibly fertile territory. You know, I'd actually be really curious to see um, if Disney have an eye on the Asian market with this one specifically.
0: Interesting, yeah. Uh, So there was another trailer that I know you're especially excited for that came out this week, and that was for Candyman.
1: Yes, the duelling trailers here, but I I hope I can win you over to the Candyman cause. If if you're not familiar with with the original, it's it's a pretty kind of bleak slasher movie starring Tony Todd, who pops up in Star Trek Next Generation as a Klingon a couple of times, I think. Um, anyway, yeah, Candyman is absolutely not sci-fi, but I I just love it, and it's such a as a series, it's such a potent cultural artifact. Um, and it was kind of rare amongst slasher movies for in its time, kind of really exploring the kind of the urban black experience rather than the white suburban one, because the typical slasher movie of the era is obviously you know, your you Freddy Krueger's and your Michael is charging back and forth along kind of typical white picket fence settings or summer camps and basically places where, where white folks go about their business. And I think Candyman tapped into something very, very different. It tapped into a world of kind of urban legends and urban decay and street drugs and street gangs. And I think the fact that Jordan Peele, is on board as a producer for this. Obviously, he's done incredible work with um, Us and Get Out. And uh, the director, Nia DaCosta, she's going to be the first black woman to direct a Marvel movie, which is the, the Captain Marvel sequel. So there's a lot of art going on there. And a lot of kind of worthiness. There's a lot of reasons why I think like a film fan is maybe not a horror fan, maybe not invested in quote-unquote classic slasher franchises like yourself, Tommy, unless you are in- you, classic
0: No, slasher you just franchises. described me exactly
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just had a hunch you know, just had a hunch um, There's a lot of reasons why this is worth paying attention to and you know, there's obviously the worthy argument and then there's the real argument which is there are some super creepy shadow puppets in that trailer and shadow puppets aren't used enough in any any circumstances
0: so, I've got a question. Is Candyman the one where you say his name in the mirror three times?
1: Yeah, yeah, chap with a hook for a hand. There were bees. Bees and a hook? That seems like a hat on a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was like the second wave slashing movie for you, and you needed two gimmicks. <laughs> okay, he wears a clown mask enough. and rides a us. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: something else we've been talking about this week, which is kind of taking the internet by storm a little bit. and, the worst of ways, and the way that it does that sometimes, in that a lot of clickbaity fandom sites have been talking about this change to one division.
1: It's it's easy, or it's very very tempting, especially for Marvel fans, to see everything that happens in a Marvel movie or TV series as being some sort of coded message or statement of intent. Or you know, if you play um, Avengers Endgame backwards, it says "Release the Airs Cut," but. So we wanted to get a little bit of kind of context into how those decisions are made, how things like that can slip through the, the, the VFX net and really, I guess, demystify the process. Um, well, Tommy's attempting to demystify the process, now I'm attempting to remystify it live on air.
0: So we're joined by joe bumpus lead vfx artist he's worked on various productions some of them not released yet we wanted to talk to him today about something very specific so in the news this week disney plus have released a new end credit scene for wandavision and the fanboy clickbait sites have been going crazy because um, there's a particular shadow that appears or some sort of ghostly figure that appears in like the top left of your screen while the camera's sort of panning towards the cabin. Um, there's a bunch of other changes as well, such as, like, I think new trees are added and maybe some birds are, are gone.
1: Um, mm, Glue origin story.
0: <laughs> so I kind of wanted to get a VFX artist's perspective on this because I don't think what we're seeing, like these sites are claiming, is Doctor Strange or Vision or Mephisto or anyone else. I think it's actually some sort of VFX glitch um, so we've got an expert in to talk about that. Um, so, firstly, Joe, what is this? Is this a glitch?
2: Yeah. So my my first opinion would be that it's not purposeful. This this sort of ghostly um, artifact that we're seeing, it's it's way too static in my opinion to be like something with performance attached to it. Like if it really was Doctor Strange's astral beam coming down you'd expect it to draw the eye more and you know you'd want people to see that right
1: um strange wouldn't though. to be fair
2: (laughs) yeah you're right i don't know how (laughs) how sort of in-depth they're going with it to be fair Um,
0: it's because it's i think it's it's like you say because it's so stuck it's if you're watching it on your tv for the first time and you wasn't looking out for it and you kind of caught something you'd actually probably think there was a mark on your tv screen because it's on one fixed place in your TV, you'd be like, "Oh, is that a f- is there a fly
2: on my TV?" Life right? Going yeah, you no, think like, it was movement a, within I think the frame. It was a smudge on the camera frame or something. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, my my um my idea behind it is that they've they've pruned something or mapped over something. I know there's a lot going around where they said they um they pruned out a camera or some sort of VFX equipment in another shot. Um, which you can see through the window of Wanda's cabin. It's right. almost like a little. You can see the tiny little screen um, with the color grades on it um, through the window. Um, so my oh. my thinking is that they've they've pruned that in edit um, and not in the actual shot, so that you know that prune is now applied throughout the whole edit.
0: Cause it's like a long one take shot, isn't it? So that rather than like framing it in just for that one part where it needs to be, they've, they've left it in that. So is that, how's that done then? Is that easily done? Is that like a, just a easy mistake to make? Like one of those things, unfortunately that kind of just happens or.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, when, when the, when the product is out there, sure things still do get updated which you know we can touch upon later because i think that's that's what disney might do with some more um products of theirs um in the future but yeah it's one of those things where you know stuff might not be monitored as much once it's out there in the world whereas when it's in pre-production everything is really fine-tuned and um yeah looked at by a lot of eyes um whereas whereas this yeah it looks like maybe edit of have done something and it's just been applied across the whole scene and it might even be a case where they broke it and it looked way more broken before the audience saw it and they've tried to right. fix really it as one. much as possible and this little distorted patch that we see on the camera is is our best possible fix that we're going to get in
0: fairness if this was any other film that wasn't like a Marvel or a Star Wars or a DC or like something with such a fandom under the fandom scrutiny, it would have just been missed if this was in like a film, I don't know, like a, a random David Fincher film. No one would have noticed it. i <laughs> been speculating it with, you know, thumbnails on YouTube with big um, red circles and like, Oh my gosh, faces saying Dr. Strange is it like, it's, it's really, it's almost unfair that it's like got so much scrutiny. But one thing I really want to touch on there that you mentioned is about how the, Disney have just gone back and replaced this. That they've they've gone back in. It's been released. Everyone's watched it. Everyone's spoken about it. It's been put out there. But what? Two, three months later, they've gone back in and they've re-edited it and then they've re-kind of uploaded it, I guess, to Disney Plus. Um, I make it sound like just uploading a YouTube video. I am sure it's way more technical than that. But that, they've, <laughs> they've, they've they've added this 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 in. What is that? Does that happen a lot in the industry, or
2: is this a new thing? That we're seeing here, I, I can see it. It has happened, um, you know, beforehand in the industry where you've had a film released, um, to the theatres, and then the actual film that you see when it's released, um, on DVD has slightly different edits in it where you know they might have got notes or some things just didn't make it through to the theatrical release, right? So, for instance, in WandaVision this one shot in particular we're talking about with the smudge also has a lot more trees and the color is almost mm. slightly different as well. And there's some birds going around. My thoughts on it are that, um, either things didn't get through to the sort of first edit that they put out and they've now got all the final looks through and they just okay. pushed that, that looking injection into this update, um, into this new upload, as you said, <laughs> or, um, they are working on Doctor Strange and it's in the same setting and possibly they're trying to match the look better with what um with right. with Doctor Strange so that you know they can have everything looking kind of similar and the same colour because that that's a post credit scene, right? The the one vision. Yeah.
1: So you so it's, it's slightly slightly different. the time with Doctor Strange. Well, thank you for joining
0: <laughs> it. <laughs> no, that's a really interesting point, though. So if a scene, if this cabin features in the Doctor Strange film um, and there's more trees around it in the location that they use for that, as opposed to this one, they've just kind of fixed it to kind of up the, the continuity of it, which is really interesting. So I suppose, do you think this will happen more and more? I, I mean, I guess the the big thing is like, one day, could they go back and replace Edward Norton with Mark Ruffalo in The Incredible Hulk from two thousand eight? Like, how crazy do you think they can get with this? Like, and
1: is could it just a luxury that comes purely from Disney, you know, controlling the their distribution as well in in that very real day to day way? Is that something yeah. that all film studios would would eventually find themselves doing, or is it?
2: I, I think at the moment, with the amount of resources that Disney has, it's probably something that only they can really afford to do. Um, right. Plus, it also comes into this this uh, this multitude of films in this Marvel Cinematic Universe that they've got now. I can see them making more changes to past products to fit in continuity with with future ones. Um, so, yeah, I can I can totally see them replacing. Edward Norton with with Mark Ruffalo like that that is totally from my experience that is totally doable as well um in and in in the future I think if they'd done it right now it'd be uh yeah it'd look good it wouldn't look amazing but it'd look good you know give it another three to five years and and yeah it will it will look like that's how the film was made Kind of uh, but scary. yeah, we uh, uh, to I see... lit a little bit. So if if I
0: watched Doctor Strange and I was like, oh, I don't remember there being that many trees around the cabin, and then I went back to watch WandaVision, not knowing that all this had happened, and I was like, wow, there are that many trees there. I must be going crazy because there've always been that many trees there. Like they they didn't really make a big song and dance about this like updated scene. But I'm, I mean, it's minor cosmetic stuff. So why would they? I just think it's it's really weird. It's really interesting.
1: I'm just really happy because I'm I'm now picturing. Some poor VFX guy somewhere with a big, big stack of X-Men DVDs, just crying <laughs> <laughs> as he tries to retroactively shoehorn Tony Stark into the mall. Can't, <laughs> Can't wait! Can't wait.
0: I wonder why. um I mean, so George Lucas, obviously, very famous for his uh, special editions in the '90s, where he went back to the old Star Wars and added new things of CGI. I'd never be out of
1: it, would he, if if this had been available to George Lucas. He'd always have his trotters in the... We'd uh, have a new
0: patch update every week for Star
1: Wars.
0: (laughs) It's really fascinating, though, because it does kind of borrow from the video game industry, where like you'll be sold a product that's not finished, and then you'll be getting patches as it goes. So, you know, Marvel have been very famous for setting release dates years in advance, and then, you know, hoping the film's finished in that time and not pushing it. So now, I guess they kind of have to compromise. They can compromise less because you know the product in ten years' time could be totally different to the one that they release on that release date. It's really, really interesting. Um, so obviously, the the show that's on at the moment that everyone's talking about and we're talking about on this podcast in particular is is Loki. Have you have you been watching that? You've been keeping up with Loki? Yeah, I've been watching Loki. It's really yeah, it's really cool. It's really good, right? What do, you, um, what do you think of the visual effects of it? Because I'm, I'm interested in general as well about Vision and Falcon and Winter Soldier because it's Marvel Studios' first proper foray into TV stuff. Because, I mean, obviously there's the Netflix stuff, which, you know, Kevin Feige would tell you is in canon. And then there's the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff that Feige would tell you is not canon. So this is the first stuff that's really had his branded stamp of approval. Um So the budget, I'm assuming, has been pretty high, but still not as high as the films. But how how do you feel it's looking so far?
2: I think it's looking better and better. I think WandaVision, um, they had a clear stylistic um, sort of... uh, Yeah, they had a very stylized visual effects throughout most of the season up until, I'd say, the last episode. And then it kind of went very VFX. um, I'd say it was all pretty VFX heavy, but it was a different style in that last episode. It was more bombastic and kind of switched back to our what we see in the films. Yeah. Obviously, there's not as much money pumped into yeah. it, so it, it, it might not have looked as clean as the films. Whereas I think Falcon and Winter Soldier looked pretty, it looked better, you know. Um, and that wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. that V effect was more of what we saw in the WandaVision finale. And then I think Loki, um, yeah, it's obviously not a Falcon and Winter Soldier esque. Um, in terms of the effects used, I re- I really like what they're doing with it. They've got some really cool things. Obviously, the obvious um things in there are the are the portals, right? They're looking really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what really was, impresses on a today, whole new
0: pl- like those massive stuff in the last episode with you know spaceships blowing up and <laughs> like alien planets and totally, trains yeah. speeding through. Yeah. like It's big effect stuff. It's it's pretty huge, and I think it's looking pretty
2: pretty cool. Yeah, the whole apocalypse planet that they were on in um, last Wednesday's episode was was really cool, and I wouldn't be surprised if they've used for the on for the really sort of stuff where you see a lot of the setting and uh, the actors. I wouldn't be surprised if they use the stagecraft Unreal Engine technique that the Mandalorian uses mm-hmm. um, with uh, yeah, yeah. That that's really going to come into fruition, especially with Disney. Um, they're kind of patrons of that technology, so they're going to yeah. keep on using it. And also the little FX stuff with Loki, you know, when they use, you know, even the smaller stuff that looks really clean, like the stuff, uh, like the fireworks coming out of his hand yeah. on the train. Stuff like that really impresses me because it's it's stuff that people take for granted because it's there in... in blink and you miss it moments but it looks so clean and you don't even think about it because it's integrated so well with the scene
1: yeah and that's the sort of thing that i think typically in tv a producer somewhere would be like putting a line through because it just feels like an unnecessary expense like can't we just have him say he can do fireworks (laughs) (laughs) You just
2: describe the fireworks it's fine
1: yeah 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 yeah, it's,
2: it's a big chunk for someone to make that decision and go no we actually want to see that like and then for them to actually pull it off and it looks good is another thing as well
0: yeah do you we think we're going to get a big um finale vfx bonanza and loki because it's kind of gone that way in the other two series so far and this has already been very vfx heavy so because the way the um the tva like city looked Oh, that was gorgeous i thought that was like such a stunning design it looks really complex it must have been like a mental render time just to like process all of that yeah, information gosh, they
2: must have rendered that for about two years honestly
0: <laughs> um... <laughs> a massive render farm with like all these computers mm-hmm. going i just imagine people on little bicycles powering all the computers to power x it <laughs> <'cause> it's like <laughs> so demanding but yeah do you think we'll get like some because if we visit that again and they do like a big spectacular set piece there it's going to be hugely intensive do you think we'll do that or do you think they'll be
2: too expensive uh no i think i think uh, i don't think money is an issue i don't think how expensive it is is an issue for that show we've seen it and there's only six episodes right so i'm pretty sure they've got that mapped out but yeah i can see us visiting that that city more and seeing seeing more of it and definitely seeing more of it blown up anyway
0: absolutely joe thank you so much for your time that was um really helpful i mean i, I guess yes, you've, you've silenced thinking. all of the clickbait trash on the on the internet <laughs> oh, yeah, so
1: I, I still live i'm just thinking like dr strange could be in this call for all we know
0: anything you no, want to shout strange... out before you go joe i know you've got uh, a trailer for something you just worked on that's just come out that looks really good
2: right yeah so um i've been working on ron "Rom's gone wrong um which is a 20th century studios film um it's locksmith studios first film as well and uh yeah it's really it's really cool the the trailer's out there now for all to see and i believe it's out in um, october or november of this year really excited for that
0: amazing i can't wait to see it. it looks so good the animation is just like really cool style i love it when you get a new animation studio because you get like a because you can tell a Pixar film a mile off, you can tell a DreamWorks film. So it's, it's like an illumination film. So it'd be cool to see. It's cool to see a new style already. So I'm looking forward to that.
2: Oh, right. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me as well. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming.
0: Well, there you have it. It's officially confirmed. I guess not, but <laughs> <laughs> at least we're more educated on the subject now. So when we visit these websites and uh, comment on the comment sections, we can... Uh, have an informed opinion before doing so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we all know, if Doctor Strange's astral form were to make its appearance in a cabin in the woods, it would be a lot more subtler than that. So I'm glad that the VX, VFX team got in there and made it a more realistic depiction of Doctor Strange's astral form. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't think James is convinced. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm just an agent of mischief
0: <laughs> well very nice so yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: as you may have been following on the last few weeks we've been uh, recapping uh, Loki on Disney plus which honestly has been such a great show so far just to start I guess diving into my thoughts I- I'm really really loving every episode of this it's so much fun and the stakes feel really, really high, and it's just a mystery that keeps on um, um, you know, unpacking itself week by week. How did you find Episode 4? What are your initial reactions to it?
1: Episode 4? Um, yeah, I, I loved every single second of that episode. And like you say, it's just... It is like some sort of complex clockwork toy that keeps kind of opening up before you. There's always something new. There's always... An extra layer to things you feel like you've already seen. Um, I love the cold open with the the timekeepers, and it was the way it was set up was so kind of arch and sort of theatrical that I was fully expecting a Wizards of Oz. Um, so Wizard of Oz, is only one type reveal. Um, where, you know, there'll be a little man behind a curtain. And there effectively was, but I wasn't expecting the... um probably called the androids, but I prefer, like, Chuck E. Cheese-style animatronics because that <laughs> kind of fits the tone of the, the show more. But it was the way the timekeeper's mouth just kept moving after he'd been beheaded that made me think of that. Like, this is, you know, this isn't some sort of future kind of uh, advanced science technocratic state this is um i don't know the entrance foyer of an amusement arcade the tva is sticky carpets
0: they did a really great job i thought in that cold open of really vilifying the tva like taking a child um just innocently from her house with no explanation and then just completely upending her life and it really really vilifies them because the way they set it up the first few episodes it's very much that we've got to stop this evil evil loki that's out there causing mischief throughout the timelines and we have to create order and stop her stop them they didn't know it was her at the time and so so it's really it was really great to see that flip now we've kind of had the conversation in the previous episode episode three um so it's great to just see that in action and some of these tva agents having that realization that are we the baddies <laughs> yeah you know looking smart. at the looking at the um posters on the wall and thinking hang on a second <laughs> that's a bit sinister <laughs> and you know having this uh, existential crisis essentially yeah. that you know perhaps you know things aren't what they seem and they may have had a life before and you know maybe you know i wilson um will go back to jet skiing who knows
1: yeah. um they, I mean, they set up the kind of the, the almost the emotional payoff of that kind of reversal of uh, the TVA perfectly. Because so I think we'd been, it had been sold to us as being this quite benign sort of bureaucracy, well, not entirely benign, but there was nothing malevolent about it. It was more like the kind of the folly of, of rules over, you know, common sense type place. But then, this episode in um, speaking to my other life as a as a historian and especially with the 60s backdrop, it did feel like a Cold War thriller. Like the the way that Loki went from, you know, effectively being tortured in a cell to sitting with this kind of a funcular funcular? Sitting with this avuncular kind of, you know, friend figure who just wants you to tell your story. And of course he starts lying, he starts up making making up some elaborate scheme which is at the heart of it because the the option the alternative to that is to be tortured in his cell again and that those are the kind of the tactics that you know the East German Stasi and Soviet KGB and so on used to kind of sustain their conspiracies like they they went in with outlandish theories and they just kept prodding until they got them and it, it's really really quite chilling to see it happen like that in a marvel movie um
0: one of the things we discussed before was that um obviously loki in the main mcu timeline had kind of arced out and you know hit this you know beautiful end point um and then the loki that's the protagonist of this show uh is taken from an earlier point in that arc so it's still hasn't gone on the full journey that we as an audience have and they did a fairly good job in the opening episode of trying to catch things up and speeding through things but I think the moment with Lady Sif in this time loop prison fully punctuated that journey that he's reached it again and that he's you know sorry and that he just craves attention and we've had a few moments like that but I thought they really did a good job of highlighting that you know he's 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 arced out the same the same way as the Loki we we seen previously and I think that really Came to the front when, uh, what's his name, Mobius? Yeah, Mobius. when Mobius came into the prison, and they kind of had to trust each other, and then obviously, seemingly, Mobius is then killed straight after. So, hmm. it's it's yeah, it, it 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 was a really nice way to catch things up and really up the stakes, but
1: yeah, and it's interesting thing about the the way, like you say, they kind of you Know to really turn the key in the back of Loki to kind of advance that character arc so he wasn't, you know, we didn't have to spend four episodes dealing with the dickhead from Thor the Dark World and we could just get on with this slightly not quite heroic but not entirely terrible Loki. And on the one hand, I, I don't I think they're, they're walking a really fine line here if they're trying to sell us on the idea that he has changed slightly because he's fallen in love, that feels a little bit, I don't know, kind of contrived and boring and kind of lame. But then on the other hand, he's fallen in love with himself, which is very, very on brand. So yeah, it depends. I was going to ask it.
0: you about that. So, so how do you feel about this unique romance?
1: I mean, it's, it's perfectly within character. Uh, it's kind of brilliant this, the oh, way they've Black like Adeline. there's this Adder line that is like oh um, you know, I'm talking to myself because it's the only way I can be sure of having an intelligent conversation and I think <laughs> that's very much Loki in whatever room he's in even when he's in a room with other smart people that are always the wrong kind of smart because they don't see the world the same way he does so of course he's the only person you could possibly fall madly in love with is himself it's,
0: it's so strange how normal they've made it feel and natural <laughs> considering it's like the most unnatural thing possibly ever <laughs> but it, it feels it just so like oh that's so sweet that like they they do seem to really get on and it's like well that is literally another version of him it's <laughs> so mm-hmm. strange
1: i i know i'm, I'm one of my more self parodic traits is to shoe on doctor into any conversation but it kind of reminds me a little bit of that the idea that you know, Time Lords and us Guardians, they're completely removed from humanity. They operate by slightly different rules. So you can have an episode of Doctor Who where he's TARDIS is personified and they've got a bit of a crush on each other, just in the same way that you can have, like if they did this as an episode of Doctor Who, of course the Doctor would be in love with a different version of himself. Like, of course he would. Uh, he always thinks he's the, or she thinks, the, the smartest person in the room. So he, he, I, I think I kind of slipped into that quite easily without the idea that it was maybe a bit weird even crossing crossing my mind.
0: Right. And this episode had a post credit scene, so I was going to say, if you've not seen the episode yet, stay tuned for that. But also, if you've not seen the episode yet, we've just spoiled all of it for you. <laughs> yeah, <definitely.
1: laughs> but can if you see have
0: it? seen the episode and you didn't see the post credit scene, do make sure you go back and check that out so you can pause this and then return after. But what did you think of that?
1: Well, I mean, it was obviously a triumph because I I was right in my prediction. Um, Though whilst I was right in the sense that Richard E. Grant was playing an older Loki in, and in his ridiculous kind of classic Silver Age Marvel costume, he's got his kind of baggy tights on, um, he's not really giving me evil mastermind vibes as of yet unless that's all an epic misdirection but then they could go and possibly meta and he could actually be an agent for Stanley and Jack Kirby who turn out to be the masterminds behind the whole thing and really this this is, they they really lean into the idea of the TVA as being this kind of extremely meta continuity cleanup department (laughs) and unfortunately I do think uh, Marvel Studios has got to the point where it would make an entire TV series about its own inner workings.
0: Yeah, yeah, the, the snake's starting to eat its own tail a little bit. But I, I think I'm just really excited for Crocodile Loki.
1: I just can't, can't <laughs> wait to see what's going on there. He's no, wonderful. He's the best. The best Loki.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. If one of these Lokis makes it back into the normal MCU timeline, let's just pray that it's Crocodile Loki. <laughs> that yeah, be amazing. I mean,
1: let's, we want Crocodile Loki. Um, what's the name of the Space Dog from the Guardians of the Galaxy? Cosmo. Yeah. Yeah. Space Dog. Cosmo, the telepathic yeah. Russian Space
0: Dog. Yes. Who in the comics cool. is the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy.
1: This is true. What's the name of the, the cat from Captain Marvel? Oh. The, the Flarkin. was it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm just saying, there's a, there's a, I, I, can, I can see another you know, spin off here. And we've not even yeah. gotten to click, click, boom. And this <laughs> oh, one's yeah. been right in front of my face the whole time. I mean, the Rocky Raccoon's
0: empty. right there as well. <laughs> he fits yeah, right yeah. into that group. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's amazing. I, mean, I think one of the, the, the big reveals, really, was that pruning doesn't necessarily mean death. Yes. Obviously, you go to some kind of death's waiting room and presumably Limbo, maybe yeah But that means there's a good chance we'll be seeing um owen wilson's agent mobius again which i'm sure comes a relief to you because those are your favorite bits of the show so far aren't they
0: yeah yeah for sure well no, now my favorite bits of the show is going to be anything with crocodile loki in it yeah <laughs> that's completely changed in one moment
1: <laughs> the, yeah the, the, the normal rules have just completely gone in the fire but that does segue quite neatly into this week's click click boom if you're ready for it i am i know to remind be honest, the rude. rules it, it might pale before the animal avengers that i'm already developing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah first quick recap of rules now my premise is the clickbait is super easy to produce if you have an overactive imagination and an underactive moral compass Now, as many of you already know, I'm not actually a person. I'm a modified sex robot powered by a Macedonian troll farm just outside Skopje. So this sort of thing comes very easily to me. Now, every episode in Click Click Boom, I will extrapolate something outlandish from the show and repackage it. And Tommy has to judge whether or not it is passable as clickbait. Click click. It looks like something that would... Fly past your timeline f- from one of those terrible sites that we don't name, but clearly be bullshit, or boom, it actually kind of looks pretty plausible, or it looks too implausible to even be clickbait. So, my criteria for boom is too dumb to be real, or too realistic to be dumb. Perfect. And then that, you know, really gets across what a fine art generating clickbait is. I mean, those, those guys are the real heroes. <laughs> right. Take it so, away. Low-key episode four. Agent Mobius makes an off offhand remark about the TVA having hoovered up Kree, Titans, and vampires. Right? So... We know that vampires exist in the MCU, and we also know that Mobius is a variant, so he might be a character we've seen before, or one we're about to see in a future Marvel movie. Now, well, we have a Blade reboot filming next year, and that's firmly in the MCU, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. Now, Mobius aspires to own a jet ski and drinks an obscure brand of cola linked to the 90s, so he may have been plucked from his timeline in the 1990s. I think that's a, a fair hypothesis, isn't it? Sure. Now, Owen oh, Wilson is 52. And we've got no idea how ageing works in the TVA, but we can at least agree that Mobius presents as 52. And it's sure. 52-ish. Or whatever. I, I don't know if maybe the, the makeup department have a completely different criteria and go, well, it's a clear, clear 47 with that wig. <laughs> <But> right, <laughs> back off. You, I'm sure you'll get an Emmy. Leave me alone. So, uh, anyway, that aspect of this is entirely controversial. Uncontroversial. So we know that he retained some affectations from his life before the TVA, the cola, the the jet ski fetish, presumably some other things we don't know about. We know he's probably around fifty-two years of age. But what if that also extended to his name? What if that was one of the affectations he clung to? Well, Jared Leto, just to pick a name completely at random, is only two years younger than Owen Wilson, and he's bringing us a Marvel bloodsucker well before Masharali's Daywalker. That's right, Tommy, it's obvious. Headline, Marvel Cinematic Undead. Mobius is Mobius the Living Vampire? Question mark. Stunned,
0: don't potentially
1: think... horrified silence greets that <laughs> as, as, as is indeed becoming a, a regular feature of clickbait. I think that's
0: clickbait. I think you've got it there. I think I don't yeah. think that could be real, but it's just I don't think it's too up. dumb to not be clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if that criteria or threshold exists. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe that's I need to be biased. Maybe I'm just arguing them too well.
0: <laughs> no. Well, I mean you're not <laughs> arguing it well enough that I think you're right. I can't <laughs> do it that way. <laughs> but well, thank I'm you, totally... for
1: playing yeah. another thrilling episode of Click Click Boom, the uh, top rated game show of the twenty twenty one season.
0: It should worry you how good you are at this.
1: It is it is a problem, isn't it? Um Dude, weird. It's the only time I feel alive. <laughs> <laughs> so, aside from that, do
0: you have any predictions going forward for the rest of the season? Now that we're learning more and more, Oof. may or may not be related to Crocodile Loki. Okay. It's up to you.
1: Um, obviously the Animal Avengers. Uh, I think Backdoor Pilot is coming next episode. Um, I think other than the fact we're definitely going to be seeing Owen Wilson again there's some other force behind the timekeepers and I'm entirely open to the possibility that this is just Marvel Studios touching itself and making a TV series about Marvel Studios and the whole thing is just meta as heck I'm well beyond my ability to accurately predict anything do we
0: do we think uh, Kang the Conqueror might be out now that the space lizards are just puppets?
1: I don't think it's weird. I I think there's a uh, there's a it's like a very small black hole in my brain that just opens up every time you mention Kang the Conqueror. I don't know why. <laughs> like I've never ma- never managed to have an opinion on him. Right. We'll
0: see. I mean, I I think it's less likely now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we'll probably get someone who's a little bit uh, less significant to the MCU at large and probably just more relevant to this particular, you know, enclosed story. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and say Kang is probably out now. Um, Wouldn't be surprised if Richard E. Grant's version of old Loki is somehow the big bad just because Richard E. Grant plays such a great villain um, but who, who knows I, I, I'm really, I don't know anymore, uh, I, I'm just uh, yeah, I'm in for the ride.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's progressed so far beyond whatever kind of modest sense of predictability it even had back in episodes 1 and 2 to being something that no longer can be predicted to the, to the point where some of the nonsense I'm conjuring up might actually be real <laughs> I, think, I think that is a, actually a dangerous escalating possibility now yeah, that everything I'm saying is, is accurate oh God. I mean I've, my genuine predictions have had quite a good track record so far so maybe my nonsense does as well not a terrifying <laughs> thought well
0: if you have any predictions uh, please feel free to send them in and any other questions about the companion um, to tommy at the App. Uh, and that's all
1: we've got time for this week. Yeah oh maybe you would like to submit your own click click boom for us to play with. Oh, that'd be interesting. see you fill up for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, special thanks again to Joe for joining us for that VFX segment. Uh, it's great to get an expert in and hear about that and I look forward to talking about Loki again next week. the penultimate episode.
1: Woo See you later guys.